Christ Course Cryptozoology podcast. This is going to be, uh, this is obviously a new podcast, although this is something I always plan to do. Um, and hopefully the, you know, the, the goal is to have people from around the world talk about their cryptozoological experiences, whether they've been working in the field or they've simply got something to say about it. Uh, joining us today, we have a man named Russell Ladmore. He's from Australia, and he has been working within the field for about a decade now, which is, you know, very significant in his work, and uh, some would surely call him a cryptozoologist. He is, again, from Australia, so obviously we'll be talking about Australian cryptids like the Yowie, the Burringer, the Bunyip, and so on, and it's a really great pleasure to have him on. So, you have, uh, so tell, tell, tell us about yourself first off. Uh, I'm from the southeastern uh, part of Australia. Um, I'm 50 years old. I work in the commercial building industry. And, you know, ever since I was a kid, I had an interest basically in the unknown. But uh, the, this, this subject caught my attention because there didn't seem to be anything out there, only stories. So uh, I decided to look. So you have... It's cool that you've had an interest in this subject uh, since you were young because I've actually had a very similar experience to that and it's a very interesting process to go through when you really start looking into stuff like this. Like you said, there's not really a whole lot out there but stories. But uh, you yourself have seemed to have uh, found more than just stories and you've been working for 10 years, you said, I think? Yeah, yeah, it's been eight years and uh, you know, I, all, all I wanted was an answer. And when I got my answer, you know, it was so overwhelming at the time, I, I felt like I had an obligation to dig deeper. And this answer, I remember you talked about this on your website, I believe, is when you had what you think might have been a sighting. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to, um, I was going to, uh, yeah, so I started looking and, and it wasn't working and I went to this other place and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to stay here for a while just to see what happens. You know, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Anyway, I was at this place uh, for five months uh, going back every Saturday morning and, you know, collecting my SD cards and swapping everything over and then taking off. On uh, At around five months as I was walking out of the area, this is probably 7.30 in the morning, uh, I saw what I believe to be him um, to my left at about 20 metres. He was moving in the same direction. And that's when I went, oh, my God, look at that. What did, uh, what did him, what did he look like, I should say? Well, all, all I saw was the outline because he was black. And, um, and, and I was a little bit confused right at the start. I could see it. It was moving. Now, this is for less than a second. I saw him for less than a second. Mm -hmm. But the proportions were so big that I was actually confused at what I was seeing because uh, I'd never seen anything like that before. So the, the, the shoulders were so huge. They were like basketballs. The head was just as big without any neck, sitting straight on the shoulders. Um... Yeah, and I'd, I'd never seen anything like that, and, and it took me a little while to register what was going on, but, uh, yeah, that was my first sighting. Wow, that's that's a pretty, I can imagine it's a pretty crazy experience to have. Less than a second, well, I, you said. 
Yeah, well, it, it was enough time to calculate that what I'd saw actually was something because I'd never seen right. that shape. But this thing was at around, and I've always maintained this, around eight foot tall. And when you understand that you're within 20 metres of something that's eight foot tall and makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a sissy, <laughs> uh, you, you really do start to worry about your own protection how safe is it you know but okay. uh there, there was there was never anything hostile that happened what did uh was it the proportions that made you think that this whatever it was was male uh i just that's the feeling i got the sort of the I impression got. you got just from looking at this whatever it was sort of thing yeah and a, and a feeling as well that's that's really it's it's crazy to really hear stories like that because it's um you definitely and this is a compliment to you and, and aside from just an observation you definitely seem like someone who is uh, collected with his thoughts so to hear like an experience like that from you is quite interesting because it definitely lends you some credibility first off and it's, uh, yeah. mm. I'm sorry go on no you're right you're right so um. What did you do after you had this experience? Did it disappear into the brush and you sort of just thought to yourself? Yeah, well, I, my, my immediate concern was my safety. Right. And I, I, I turned the camera on straight away and uh, <clears throat> actually started filming. And uh, I was very, what, what I would describe as nervous. Mm -hmm. I wasn't scared, I wasn't frightened, I was very nervous about what had just happened. And uh, I started filming, and that was it. I, I think he came out to let him know, to let me know that he was there. That, and and you know this this it, it is my belief that they are extremely intelligent, and he knew that I was looking probably for him, so he let me know that that was his place. He was in the area. Uh, it was possibly that. I, that he was what I was looking for, and that's when everything changed. That's when I realised that he'd been watching me the whole time. Right. I was there over the over the whole five months. He'd been watching me. Hmm. What um, Australia obviously has. Um, you actually presented a new one to me. Names for these uh, mystery hominids. What would you, going off of names in that list, if you could. What would you describe this creature as? Would you say it was a yaoi? Would you say it was something else? Well, in Australia, you know, if, if you're in the general public, and, and a lot of the public doesn't know, but uh, generalising, uh, it, it was a yaoi. So mm -hmm. if I was to describe, if, if I was to describe, put it another way, I'd just say, you know, it was a car. But there's so many different types of cars, you know, right. it's ge just generic. Uh, Yowie is a generic term, but what I saw, according to the Aboriginal people, was a doolagar. I've heard that name before, actually. Yeah. What exactly is a doolagar supposed to be? Uh, uh, all, all of the Aboriginal names, from what I can tell, uh, the descriptions of these particular creatures, all of the names are basically uh, called hairy man. So all of the all of the names are referring to hairy man, but this particular size now there's there's a number of different sizes. So this one, 
this hairy man got the name Dulagar from the Aboriginal people. And it was uh, based on size, you said, or was it based on... Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's based on size. I, I, I couldn't tell you 100% for sure, but I right. would say that it's based on size. The small ones are called Junjari. You mentioned that your friend claimed he saw uh, several Junjaris. He's, uh, he, he saw one. He was um, He's on a rural property. He's mm-hmm. had them hanging around his house for like 20 years. Uh, he did have one, a Dulagar, hanging around his house and he be- he believes she was a she and uh, she ended up disappearing. He, he thinks she probably died, but uh, he has other activity or had other activity there and saw one of the little fellas, one of the Janjari, um, while he was out in the field digging a fence post. So he knew he was being stalked. He'd had a lot of experience and he turned around and saw this thing hiding in the bushes looking at him. Now, what did um, it's interesting about his uh, experience with uh, the Yowie or the Dulaga that you mentioned, the one he believed was female. Did he see uh, specific physical features that made him believe it was female, or was it more like a feeling similar to what you experienced? More like a feeling. Um, it, it used to come up around the house at night and stomp on the ground. The Aboriginal people call the stomping, uh, they call it in that area, they call it Burman sticker. So, what they're doing is stomping on the ground for a number of different reasons and um you know the only interactions he had from what i know were nocturnal interactions so he couldn't see it necessarily or see any detailed features but uh, in one of his interviews he got the impression that it was a she Hmm. and he also got the impression that um after his experiences, he believes that this uh, individual, this creature, actually died. Was that because, uh, well, why was that, I should say? It just never showed up again. It was it was at his house on a weekly basis, and um, <clears throat> at one point, it just never showed up ever again. Hmm. It was gone. So he believes it died. And it was also, from what I remember, it was also stealing the children's clothing off the clothesline. Hmm. So, you, you know, possibly the smell, you know, the smell of children to a mother. Right. You know, maybe she couldn't have children, maybe she did have children, whatever. Right. But uh, she was stealing the children's clothing off off the clothesline. You know, possibly for the for the smell, I don't know. It's very interesting. I've I've not heard that very often before. Uh, I actually need to do something very quick. I will be right back. Sure. My apologies. There was a, uh, a rasping at my door, whatever you call it. Mm. Now, um, the on the subject of these different uh, these different Aboriginal names for these creatures, uh, does he believe, or do you believe, that the Jinjiri are simply the infants or adolescents of this of this species? No, no, no. They're a different species altogether. Hmm. From what and- the Aboriginal people are saying. Right. And you actually, I believe you mentioned when we were talking beforehand that there were colored patches around the eyes, I believe. Yeah, my friend uh, sent me a drawing um, and it was, you know, the basic shape of a face. But around the eyes, it had 
uh, light brown fur in a circle around the eyes. Now, another friend uh, saw one uh, in, in a similar area, in, in the same region, but it had a bluish-coloured face. Now, I've got a time-lapse sequence uh, on one of my videos, and um, it shows, it, even in the photos, the photos are terrible, but, but what it's showing is uh, a figure coming in from the side, hiding, crouching behind the bushes, popping its head up, no ears, no discernible ears, so it's not a normal animal, but there is a blue tinge to the uh, to the face in the photographs. Do you believe that the subject of this photograph is one of the uh, gingerias with a more bluish hue to it? Yes, yes. I actually went back to that place, uh, you know, because I realised it, it probably was something. And when I set up the camera and walked uphill to where I believed it was sitting, there was two tiny little footprints, you know, the size mm. of possibly a five-year-old, two tiny little footprints and where I go out into the forest it's it's verging on remote if not wilderness so not many people get out there so it it was definitely something what did the uh going off of these physical descriptions uh starting with the drawing that your friend sent you of the creature he witnessed what did aside from the rings around the eyes what did the face look like was it a very human-like face, or was it something a little bit more uh, non-human? I can't remember <clears throat> what his actual description was, but uh, the basics of it was a black face, black eyes, black hair, and with these little brown rings around the eyes. Right. What about the footprints that you discovered? Were they uh, extremely human-like in nature? What were the um, defining features, so to speak? Yeah, they just looked like tiny little human footprints hmm. but this and you know you, you start scratching your head because it's all unbelievable the whole the whole subject is unbelievable until right. you see it for yourself so when i saw the footprints and you know they look just like a little kid's footprints so you know it was it wasn't at the same time it was something like that right who's the little kid running around the forest so so to speak mm. Mm. very odd um, behaviorally, what do you think, because you actually have audio of what you believe is these creatures stomping. Yes. And this was a period of time in which you were driving to a location in the forest and leaving forest, or sorry, leaving food weekly, I think it was? Yes, weekly, every Saturday morning, I'd, you know, once I had my encounter and once I realized that I'd been watched the whole time... I changed my strategy and uh, moved just a little bit further down the road where it was a little bit more convenient for me, you know, a couple of hundred metres, and um, <clears throat> found a place and decided to leave food. I left the food there one week and, you know, I was prepared the next week. So the next week I came, I had a new bag of fruit, food, fruit, and mm -hmm. I picked up, picked up all the old rotten fruit, put the new fruit there, and after three weeks, they ended up taking it. I knew they'd be watching so that went on for months but in the end and i tried to trick them a lot with uh you know a lot of different ideas but it never worked what worked was when i removed all the electronics the day i moved removed that and the day that i went back i hopped out of the car and this there was this tremendous stomping 
coming from over to my right. And it's sort of like boom, 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 ba boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. It was, you know, you know, a, a, a tingle went down my spine. The hair stood up on my body, and you know, there was a rush, and there was also danger. You know, an element of danger. I'm, I'm thinking, are they going to come and kill me? Because I'd never heard it before. And uh, what I what I realised was that they were letting me know that they were there, and. <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, I'm leaving all this food. Surely they can't kill me. You know, it's it's right. a it's it's now a relationship. They've revealed themselves. They want what you have. They want what I had. That's very interesting, actually. Uh, when you left me a link to your website, I uh, when I heard the audio of the stomping, for one thing, the first thing that struck me, uh, which again lends a lot to the credibility of the situation, is when they were stomping, you were actually holding the camera fairly still. Which, um, you know, anyone watching that will first off think, oh, so it's not just him uh, stomping around with a, you know, with a camera lens that's off or something like that. But what else struck me was thinking about it in the context of, well, what do, you know, primates do? What do humans do? What does stomping mean? And uh, mm -hmm. it sort of means different things throughout the primate kingdom. The first example that I found was that uh, chimpanzees will stomp in order to sort of express a displeasure with something. But of course, mm. since you're bringing food, that seems a little bit less likely. Uh, what sort of demeanor do you think the stomping had? It was letting you, they were letting you know that they were there, but was it a sort of uh, do your thing and go, or was it a uh, something closer to a welcome? I, I got the impression, and, and this is when you don't see them, they never ever reveal themselves again. So uh, the, the impression I got, and this is all I can work off the impression I got, was we're here, we're ready. And right. that's, that's sort of all I could assume from it. But months later, uh, I went back to the same place at the same time, and uh, I hopped out of the car, and there was stomping from two different directions and that's when I went aha so at that point I figured out that the stomping was not only for me it was for the other members instantly I knew there was others there so right I I sort of assumed that the stomping was for me to let me know that they were there and to also let the others know to like keep on their guard or whatever but it wasn't just for me that's very that's interesting. The that's the impression I got. It's strange to think about that because there's, of course, the phenomenon of mystery hominids is uh, a global thing, really, at this point. And in, a, in many areas, there are behaviors very similar to stomping, or sometimes, of course, stomping itself, uh, that's said to be long-term communication. Uh, I would say the most popular one in the U.S. right now, the theory of wood-knocking, which is the creatures actually pick up two pieces of wood or they hit a piece of wood against a standing tree and the sound carries out to other locations where they are and they'll be able to reciprocate that sound. Yes. Uh, 
what exactly that's for is obviously still debated, but it's interesting to see such a similar uh, phenomenon of almost really an unexpected form of communication. You would you think of a of any kind of animal really, and you think, oh, it vocalizes, but instead you get uh, these strange stompings and these strange you know wood knockings in the night, and it's a very interesting part of the whole uh, sort of picture that we're looking at here. Yes, well, the uh, our, our native animals, the kangaroos and, and their relatives, the wallabies, they will stomp on the ground as well. And right. we have feral rabbits, and they stop on, stomp on the ground. Right. And we call that the bush telegraph. It's sort of like the hmm. bush internet, you know. That's fine. The, mes- the message instantly goes out. Everybody knows. But uh, I've been in other places where I've never been before, and I've got the stomping as well. So that is an instant instant communication like there is something really big here, not far away from you. Be careful. And it's also, as you said, spreads out and everybody knows. Right. Do you think that there's um, because I think that people really do underestimate sometimes the complexity of some animals forms of communications. Uh, do you think that there's different maybe volumes of stomping that are meant for different things? Or do you think it's sort of just a general uh, call to be aware of your surroundings. I, th- I think it means different things in different in different situations. So if you're walking through the forest that you've never been through the through before, and you hear this stomping here in Australia, you know that's that's a warning. And when you hear it for, when you hear it for yourself, uh, you, your brain quickly calculates that you cannot. Uh, reproduce that sound so whatever it is it's quite a lot bigger than you so it's a warning it it puts fear into you so, so in that situation it's a warning needed. yes hmm. and i've had it i've had it happen quite a number of times out in the forest in places that i've never been right that's very wow that's like that's very i keep saying interesting really but that's the most broad term I can use for it because there's so much about that that really does intrigue me. And I've got to say, like, how many places have you been in this? Do you think this is a common thing throughout the species? Yes. Speaking of what what kind of... I know you mentioned this to me when we were talking, but for the sake of uh, the people who will be listening to this, um, what species do you think we are dealing with when it comes to what we refer to as a Janjiri or as a Yowie or as a Dulaga? I, you know, this, this, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but right. just from what I've seen in the last eight years, the generalization would be relics hominoid or prehistoric survivor mm. uh, and or prehumans or, right. or primitives. Right. So it's somewhere on the spectrum between a, a primitive human and something that is close to primitive human, but is perhaps even more backward in history. Yeah, well, there's a picture in... Uh, now, my dad had a library. It was a, one of those old Time Life libraries, and uh, it, it was about human evolution. And in that book, and I've been trying to find it, in that book, there's a picture of modern humans and what looks like a dulagar. A group of dulagars and they're throwing rocks at each other and the setting is in Africa and that and that's what it looks like you know pre-humans versus humans right or pre-humans versus homo sapiens so now, that it was very primitive 
what did the pre-humans in this illustration look like? Were they the ones covered in hair that perhaps looked more uh, beast than man, so to speak? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Were they on... This is actually a strangely debated thing because there's not many sightings of these hominids on, you know, as being a quadruped like many uh, primates are. Are these mm. bipedal creatures or are they uh, quadrupeds? I think they're both. Now, what I think is happening is, is you know, and and I'm just guessing, but this is from eight years, so my belief would be that most of the time they're quadrupeds. Mm-hmm. But if humans enter the area or if there's danger or something like that, they will stand up and walk upright, and uh, that's when everybody starts getting upset. Now, we have birds over here called the currawong, and from what I can tell, as soon as these guys stand up, the currawongs start getting very upset. Now, the Aboriginal people are saying that the Dulagar shake the trees to steal the currawongs' eggs. Hmm. So, as soon as they stand up, the currawongs go, oh my God, they're going to steal our eggs. Right. Let's, let's, and they start getting upset. I've actually got recordings of it, but... Uh, yeah, I think most of the time they're probably on all fours foraging, but as soon as there's danger or something, then they're going to stand up. Hmm. That's very interesting that you mentioned the tree shaking, actually. There are many reports across the globe of, the, of a similar thing happening uh, pertaining to mystery hominids. There's actually a video that came out of a documentary series that, unfortunately, for, of course, the creator of the series, uh, did get some controversy over time. Uh, but the recording itself is very intriguing. It's of a, a trail cam that records instead of snap pictures. And it was left in a place in Texas. And uh, you can actually see as dusk is sort of starting to get darker and darker, uh, in the silhouette of a tree you see something that climbs up. And it climbs about midway through the tree and wraps its arms around the, the trunk and just starts to shake it. Mm. And it's hard to tell really what it's trying to do because after a few seconds really perhaps like 10 seconds of shaking it just climbs out of the tree and goes along as it it just moves away so there's a number of reasons i suppose of uh for one thing that could have been a number of things it could have been a hoax i suppose but if we're talking about a real creature doing that is it a territorial thing is it trying to get something out of the tree and like with you said it steals the birds eggs out of the trees and that's very interesting because that definitely uh, says something about the diet as well. Do you think that they're uh, herbivores? Do they eat both meat and vegetation? Yeah, omnivore. I think they're. they're, they're oh, my mistake. Yes, omnivore. They're they're uh, they're going to be eating anything that they can now. I mean, it's not like us. You know, we might. Yeah, well, they're, they're going to be eating like the Aboriginal people used to eat out in the forest you know at a certain time of year there's going to be these types of berries and these types of nuts and these types of fruit forest fruit at other times of year there's there's not going to be much you know possibly in winter so they might have to uh you know survive on eggs or Mm -hmm. or whatever or crayfish or mussels in the rivers uh so you know i think it's seasonal but Mm -hmm. uh their diet their diet changes over the year and then it it just recycles do you think that they're capable and that they do kill uh, perhaps small or even larger animals? Yes. Um, uh, I, I met a guy through another guy down here where I am, and uh, I actually rang the guy up because he said he saw one. Now, he 
he was saying it ended up that his mate that he was shooting with they went shooting and this is back in 1960 out in the mountains behind where i live uh so they went shooting out behind there he was actually a friend of my father's and um they went shooting and while they were out in the forest he saw what he believed was his friend with a wallaby you know and, and a wallaby is sort of like a uh, a relative of a kangaroo so that right. type of animal he had a wallaby over his shoulder <clears throat> but he said oh oh hey you know nice catch you know he got a wallaby but it wasn't his friend it was one of those creatures this creature was gray and it had a wallaby over its shoulder so yes, we believe they're we believe they're eating wallabies, you know, to supplement their diet. Right. It's very interesting. It's it's rare sometimes to uh, I shouldn't say rare sometimes, I should say rare in general, to hear reports of mystery hominids uh, killing other animals, because when that happens, you get something that's a little more concrete. You get uh, a kill. Sometimes we find you know bodies that have been. Uh, mangled or destroyed in ways which is gruesome, but uh, in ways that are somewhat hard to explain. And, uh, that actually brings me to a, a side subject. I don't mean to diverge too much. Mm. Uh, we were actually also talking about uh, Burringer sightings and other more dinosaur-like uh, cryptids in yeah. Australia. What is your opinion of that? Because that tends to be something I think that for people who aren't uh, too into it, when you bring up dinosaurs in a conversation about cryptozoology, uh, I think that tends to offset people because it's so, you know, scientifically engraved that there are no more of them. But uh, like you said uh, to me, there's actually a video where there's tracks, not just you know in the rock that could have been there for millions of years, but in the sand, and that's something that can't exactly stay there for millions of years. So, what's your opinion on all of those sightings? Well, I, I, I would generally believe the Aboriginal people now before white man came to Australia, uh, the Aboriginal people already had their legends uh, about uh, basically dinosaurs and these, these are in remote remote areas of Australia and, uh, you know, there's, there's particular areas that they would not go into because of the fear of these creatures. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you saw that video yourself with the footprints in the sand. That that was, I mean, if that's not proof of something very odd, and I think the Aboriginal describe, the Aboriginal people describe that as uh, a seabird. I'm not sure. But, uh, I mean, that was good enough for me. Mm. If, something... I, I, would, I would believe the Aboriginal people over anybody. Right, because they're far less inclined to lie about it. Yeah, it's it's part of their culture. That as well, yeah. What was interesting about those tracks, especially, I noticed this. I think uh, I may be remembering a different part of a different video, but there's a part where the tracks seem to come close to what I think is a beach of some kind, yes. closer to the shoreline or something. Mm. And uh, you can see that there's been other sand kicked up around them. Mm. And to me, that definitely strikes me more as a real creature walking along than someone with these huge, uh, whether they be plastic or, you know, uh, plaster casts trying to make the cleanest and most visible and most convincing track possible. Well, the thing is, Australia is, parts of Australia are extremely remote. Hmm. And, you know, these are, especially these Aboriginal communities, these Aboriginal communities are out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they're, 
they might be 500 kilometres from any civilization. So they're out right. there in the middle of nowhere and, and you know, I, I wouldn't believe that they go out of their way to, to fake it. Now, if you saw that video, you'd see that the Aboriginal people were looking at the footprints, but they were sort of like, oh, yeah, whatever, that's just the season. They seem to be showing the person with the camera the footprints as if it was a normal occurrence is what it struck me as. That's right. It's normal. It's normal stuff. Hmm. That's very interesting. Definitely, it's... Again, it's something that isn't really brought up too, too often, even within the realm of cryptozoology itself. Uh... Now, from what I understand, there's also been tracks of the alleged uh, Burringer creature casted as well. I actually have a picture on my wall of, I think his name is Rex Gilroy, and yes. he is presenting to an audience uh, what he either claims to be or believes could be a cast of a Burringer's footprint, which, of course, uh, like I mentioned, looks identical to the footprints in the sand. Really? I haven't seen that photograph. I'll have to show you that in a bit here because it's actually very yeah. interesting. Sure. Because I'm sure at first glance people think, oh, it's someone who's found a, uh, you know, a track that's millions of years old. And then mm. you get into what he's saying about it and he's saying, well, this was found in uh, a place that, for one thing, maybe it really shouldn't be uh, historically or whatever you may have there. And he's also saying this is the track of a far more recently alive creature, so to speak, something that may still be alive. And uh, there are definitely... Australia is often regarded as a place that has a very wide variety of just crazy wildlife. Mm. And um, you can definitely also see that within its cryptozoological aspects, because we have things like uh, the Yowie or the Duolga or the Jinjuri, uh, and we get that to range the Boringer and even oh what's it called the there's a prehistoric relative of the Komodo dragon mm. and the mega something I can't for the life of me remember the rest of the name I know but the it, one you're talking about yeah it's basically a Komodo dragon the size of a school bus practically which is you know insane and we still get sightings of that as well sometimes and it definitely uh to me, convinces me just more and more that even if there's uh, not a Burringer or if there's not, uh, you know, if this or that, it's a very crazy place and there are definitely strange things going on there. The, the Australian bush, the remote Australian bush, is dangerous. It is very dangerous and there are still extremely large creatures out there that, and I've had this experience, that will look at you like you are breakfast. Right. And that's frightening. Now, when I, when I was a kid, if we could just, on, on the subject of those uh, lizards, when I was a kid, we moved from town, which was right next to the ocean, out into the wilderness. And while we were there, uh, it was summertime. Uh, we went swimming down at the river. Uh, Mum took us in the car. And when we come back up out of the river onto the paddocks, there was this giant goanna and it was six or, six or seven metres long. That's, I'm not sure what metres means to you guys, but, you know, six or seven yards long or perhaps mm -hmm. longer. It was bigger than the car. Wow. It was bigger than the car, and, you know, it was looking at us, and we were looking at it, and we just, we just drove off. But, you know, in my head, I thought, geez, that's a big one. But we, I didn't realise at the time, you know, I was probably 10 or 12, 
and I didn't realise at the time that that wasn't normal. Now, I've, right. I've, spoken to, I've spoken to people about that before and they said, no, that's impossible. That can't be. And that, and there's, they're saying that if that was that, then that was probably a relative of what you're just talking about, these giant Komodo dragon things. Mm. But, th- but this thing was enormous. Bigger there than the car, you said. Bigger than the car. Crazy. You know, if, if we had been walking, we, we normally walk down to that river for a swim uh, over the school holidays. And uh, if we had been walking, it, it, I'm sure it would have attacked us. Right. But it, it was enormous. That's insane. Do you think it was a, a prehistoric relative of the Komodo dragon? It, well, it was there. I saw it. It was bigger than the car. That, that's all I can tell you, you know. Right. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a, a, a relative. But uh, it was enormous. That really it, It's crazy how many experiences you've had. And it's... Well, my, mind you, this was 40 years ago. That's true, yeah. It's just crazy that, like... And a lot of these... Uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot of these, but a fair amount of these happened when you were uh, fairly young as well. Yeah, I'd had a number of experiences, but, but nothing while I was in town. But uh, hmm. as soon as we, as soon as we moved out to this remote area, it was a farm, and and over the river and up the other side of the mountain, on the western side of the mountain, that was the wilderness. So uh, while while we were there, we saw that lizard. Uh, I saw a uh, a snake that was probably as thick as a basketball, and I estimate that it was probably up to like 14 or 15 yards long. It was extremely long. Um, Do you know what kind of snake it was? The colours on it um, just seem to be uh, a python, indicator python. Now, we do get pythons. Mm. And up on the farm, we saw a lot of pythons, and they were eating the rats. So, But this thing was, uh, you know, of it. this thing was huge. But... Um, and that was when when I was about 21, so that was 30 years ago. Right. But uh, other things happened on that farm, you know, and things are happening in Australia in remote areas that the people living in those areas just won't speak about. Because why do you think they don't speak about it? Because of ridicule. Mm. There's definitely a reoccurring theme. A lot of people who uh, study mainly the Bigfoot phenomenon in the U.S. But really, it applies to, I would say, all of the cryptid phenomenon, is when you take a look at sightings that have been reported, you tend to kind of round up, because there are going to be a lot that haven't been reported. Sure. Yeah. And it is because of public ridicule, because it is, and like you said earlier, it's, it is crazy. It's a, it's a very hard thing to swallow without really seeing it yourself. That's right. See, see, you know, what's that saying? Seeing is believing. I was, exactly. I was at, I was at a, uh, as I mentioned, I'm working in the commercial building industry. We were working on a particular job and this woman came up to me. She was uh, one of the owners and she said, you're the Bigfoot guy, aren't you? And I went, well, hmm. not really, but yeah. And she goes, where I live, and she told me where she lived, uh, the entire community, there's probably about 20 or 30 properties in that area. And she hmm. said, the entire community is aware of the Doolagar. Wow. The entire community, but no one's saying anything. She said she hadn't seen it herself, but her son did. The other people in the next door house had seen it. 
you know, the people over the road had seen it. Everybody knew, but no one was hmm. saying anything. Yeah, it's the power of, uh, we can say, of course, and you can let our words slide off you uh, with, you know, the whole sticks and stones saying, but ultimately words are very powerful. And when ridicule comes into what uh, someone's saying about you, that is definitely a big deterrent because we're very social as a species. Mm. We rely heavily, I think, on uh, social approval. And I think that that's a big reason why a lot of us, you know, we don't talk because we're afraid that, well, what's the point of talking if we, we ourselves don't get anything out of it? That's right. But once once you once you get to a, a certain age, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now and, mm-hmm. you know, the way I said it is once you get to a certain age, you start understanding that if you keep your mouth shut, no one's ever going to know anything. So right. it doesn't bother. I'm already dead. You know, basically I'm already dead. So it doesn't bother me. It's not going to affect me. What I say now isn't going to affect me when I'm dead. So I'm speaking out because I don't care. I've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. That's a very, I like that stance because you're right in the sense that no one will ever really learn anything if no one talks about something. That's how great change comes about is people uh, decide to break a silence that had been instituted. Yeah, well, it's, um, I mean, the, it, it, it would appear to me that 40 years ago, the general population, particularly the men, would never, ever speak about anything like that publicly because right. uh, you would be classed as a nutcase. No mm-hmm. one ever spoke about it. Even my father. My father and I saw a, a UFO one morning early on really? the way to work. Yeah, out near this farm. And uh, he never spoke of it again. Ever. We both knew what it was. But he would never speak about it. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't really spoken about this on my channel, so to speak, but I've talked about this with people that I will speak with this sort of subject about. And it's interesting when uh, the paranormal or UFOology and cryptozoology sort of merge with each other. I'm not sure if you've heard of the Mothman legend. I've heard of it, yes. It's a very good example of when uh, you have something that could be very much classified as a cryptid, but could also be classified as perhaps a paranormal entity. Some people even called it an alien. Some people mm. called it the age of death. It's a very strange thing to try and classify within uh, what are all somewhat theoretical fields. Mm. What did... Because UFO simply means unidentified flying object. You could classify uh, an unrecognized species of bird as a UFO. What would you classify this particular sighting as? Uh, the, the UFO sighting? Yes. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the only description I can come up with is unidentified flying object. It, it was, I don't know if it was on the ground or this was at dark just before, mm-hmm. just before daylight and we both saw it. It was in a paddock and um, it just looked like a truck. You know how trucks have clearance lights on top, orange ones? And yeah, they yeah. Have their, they have their headlights. It just looked like a truck in the paddock. But as we were moving along, it moved between the trees, over the river, and then up the river. It started going up the river. So all, all I can hmm. say is, you know, you, I, be, I believe it was some sort of unidentified flying object. We couldn't see what it was, but we could see what it was doing. Right. right. 
How high above the ground was the object? Uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe 10 foot. 10 foot hmm. off the ground. And that's significant. But, that's interesting. You know, I, I, there's just... Just a little way from the siding, as we're driving along, there was a turn to the right that would have taken us right near it, and I hmm. begged my father to take us there. This was when <laughs> I was six. This was when I was sixteen. I begged him to turn right, and he wouldn't. He said nope, and that was it. And we never turned hmm. right. We never did anything. But and he never spoke about it again. Do you th and, and you said it was because you think you feel that especially uh, the men around that point in time were very reluctant to face uh, ridicule for that. Oh, sure. Sure. It, it was ingrained. Mm -hmm. Ingrained in society. Nobody talks about that stuff. No one. Right. You might talk about it uh, around a campfire at night. Not that anybody does that anymore, but uh, around a campfire at night with close friends, you might say it. You might drop it. Mm -hmm. But you would, you would never be saying it at work or in public. That's interesting. It's definitely... Uh, I, w I don't want to say discouraging because I feel like that's a... Uh, negative direction to go with it, but it can be disheartening, I would say, to definitely to hear about uh, or even just hear a person's story who says, I would never tell this to anyone else. Yeah, it is, but things are changing. Things have changed since I was a kid. You know, people are speaking out about it now and not, not necessarily speaking out or possibly speaking up about it. Uh, because, because there's so many other people out there that are having the same experiences. And now that we have the internet and we're able to speak to other people live in other countries about our experiences, you know, uh, and people see that and they become less afraid to... Right. Uh, so there's a lot of people right now coming out of the woodwork with their experiences. Which I think, what I agree with you, was a very good uh, change to make. Getting... It's, it, it's good as a planet. We're, we're, we're all starting mm. to wake up, I believe. I would agree so, too. My, my father himself accidentally uh, talks a lot about that, the idea that there's actually more and more populace as time goes on that is mm. aware of uh, whether it be, uh, in, in my case, I talk more about the uh, mysterious things that go on. Uh, he tends to talk more politically about it, but there definitely is a phenomenon where the, um, the line between the awake and the asleep, so to speak, is... Uh, becoming thinner rather than blurred. Sure. Well, we, now, have, we have access now to so much information. You know, back in the old days when I was a kid, all we had was books. Right. And and you had to write letters. You know, now it's mm -hmm. it's it's straight there on your on your computer. It's a very good way to get the to get any kind of word around, really. And I think it's very beneficial, especially for the cryptozoological field, which um. I gotta ask the question: Would you consider yourself a cryptozoologist? No, I'm I'm just a person, I, and and I don't consider myself as a researcher either. I don't like that word. I've never liked the word. Mm -hmm. All I all I am is a guy looking for answers, and I'm just sharing what I'm finding. Right. What do you think uh, constitutes the name of maybe not researcher or expert? Because I actually feel the same way. Uh, researcher, I'm a bit more. Lenient with, but I don't think you could ever really say you're an expert on uh, something that you that someone themselves would say. Well, we don't know everything about it. Um, yeah, what do you no think? Experts. Right. What do you think would constitute, if anything, uh, someone being a cryptozoologist or being a researcher? 
I wouldn't. If I wouldn't. Anything. You know, I, w- I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I think people are just using that word just generally mm-hmm. uh, because because it makes you feel better. You know, I'm a researcher. Right. I'm a researcher. It makes you feel more uh, entitled to. Something like that, but yeah. you, you know, it, it makes us feel like we're doing something important, right? Right. Which is which is nice. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I mm-hmm. just don't like that particular word because it puts me into into a category, a category that I don't want to be in. Right. Right. No, yeah, that's definitely a uh, a feeling that I can understand. People do tend to throw around the word sometimes, especially uh, recently. I'm not sure if you've seen this because this is a. Uh, this happened in the U.S. I'm not sure how well you follow that, mm. but um, there is a show called Finding Bigfoot, I've seen and, it. A, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that in that sense you're aware of uh, Matt Moneymaker, mm. and uh, he's definitely had his ups and downs within the community, so to speak, and it's due to his credibility a lot of the time because uh, recently, the most recent one was he uh, went onto Twitter and he sent out this picture. Um, which was what he claimed a quote-unquote authentic photograph from a turkey hunter in Washington State. And uh, someone in the community did some backtracking. It didn't take them very long. And it turns out that the picture was actually an example photo from a, I believe it was some kind of online shopping page of someone who was making their own Bigfoot suits. Yeah, It didn't take him very long to research that. So I think that... Um, People who throw around words like authentic and like researcher actually tend to be far less credible sometimes than others. That's right. You know, if, if you're putting up something public on this subject or these subject or these types of subjects, it is up to the public to decide what it is. You can mm-hmm. make suggestions. Well, this is what I do anyway. You know, I'd say there's the information. Uh, that noise is that. That noise is barking you can hear it's barking right, right. Uh, and there's an unknown figure so mm-hmm. I, I, I will put up the facts and the public gets to decide what it is I don't I don't care what they decide I don't care if they if they think it's nothing or think it's something I don't think it's if you're going public with your information I don't think it's up to the person providing the information to suggest what it is the public can do that and we shouldn't be just suggesting what it is Right, because right. you can get into a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. So as soon as it becomes public, it's the public's decision to decide what it is. Right, right. I agree with that. The, the um, that brings me to this question, and this is actually uh, kind of going back to what you talked about, what the creature that you saw looked like. Have you ever heard of the Patterson-Gimlin film? Yes, I saw it Have when I seen... was a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw it when I, when I was a kid. Have you seen the uh, the, enhan- the enhancements that people have done, the analysis people have done? I have seen some of it, yes. What's your opinion on it? Because it is probably the most controversial uh, footage, not just in cryptozoology, but debatably the most controversial footage in existence. There, there are people out there who are so passionate about it and who believe it so much uh, that, and, and, and on the opposite side, there are the people and the stories and the, and the side stories to it that, you know, it just doesn't ring true. Yes, it's true. No, it's not true. I don't know. I gave up years ago mm-hmm. trying to decipher whether it was or whether it wasn't because 
It'll never be decided. It'll yeah, never you can't really go back, go back in never, time and prove it. Yeah, it'll never be proven without a mm-hmm. doubt. But there's, I, I put up a post on an Australian website here not long ago, and it was Paddy's breasts, and to me, they seem to be in the wrong place. Now, I know, I know people are probably going to get upset about that, but if you have a look at it, her breasts, if that's what they are, they appear to be breasts, are halfway between where a normal person's breast would be and her belly button or her waist. Mm-hmm. They are way, way down there. They seem to be in the wrong spot. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Right. right. No, yeah, no, yeah it's, as, as uh, uh, I've had a passion for cryptozoology for probably, probably since I was, I would even say like eight or nine maybe. And, yeah. and so I've, I've seen that footage a lot because my focus has tended to be on Sasquatch. And definitely, it's I've seen a lot of interesting things. And like you said, there are definitely people who uh, claim, oh, I was involved with this or that. And really none of them has have rung very true to me. People who, um, even Roger Patterson himself, who there's a misconception that he confessed before he died that it was a fake film. Uh, whereas actually during research, he did confess uh, something, but it wasn't exactly pertaining to the film's authenticity. He maintained, he maintained that until he died. Um, what apparently happened, and I've yet to fully confirm this, was that, um, and this may paint him as a bit sleazy or something, but when they first got the footage, uh, whether it was fake or not, they thought to themselves, we have to show people this. And so when they started doing screenings for people who simply wanted to see or for family or friends, uh, Roger wanted both him and Bob to be there. And allegedly... At one point, uh, Bob couldn't make it, and so uh, Roger basically had a stand-in who looked enough like Bob that he could call Bob Giblin uh, to keep up perhaps some kind of public appearance. Again, this this does sound like a very strange thing to do, even for someone who's trying to get publicity, uh, so I kind of am skeptical about whether this actually happened or not. But that day in the audience, there was someone who was a friend of Bob Giblin's who stood up and said, that's not Bob Giblin. So it's a very... Uh, a strange thing to do and a, a fairly strange mistake to make. Um, but allegedly, the only confession that he made was that, yes, that wasn't Bob Gimlin, and he apologized to Bob shortly uh, before he died for that. Oh, God. But um, even if it's not a confession about the film itself, uh, as someone who does find the film very interesting, I will say that that did hurt Roger's... Uh, his believability. Yeah. Because at that point, you know that he's someone who can make a fairly big lie and be able to sort of carry it out. Credibility is everything in this field. And if you don't have any credibility and you're lying and you get caught lying multiple times, uh, your your credibility just plummets. But Exactly. You know, and this is why we've got to... We have to let the public decide, you know, give the public the information, say what you think it might be, what you think it could be or whatever, and the public can decide. That's that's the only way you can't get burnt. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've got caught out just on a couple of stupid things, you know, uh, technical um, issues right, earlier right. and, and realised, okay, geez, I, I'm going to have to lift my game here. You know, mm-hmm. I can't be I can't be saying this and I can't be saying that. And you know, I, I had to learn learn the ropes, so to speak. So 
if you're going to be putting something out there, you are, yeah, your credibility is everything. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, when, when, when you were doing, a, you were setting up a lot of these game cameras and trap cameras at some point, mm. and you mentioned uh, the photograph or the very small series of photographs, maybe of this. Yes. Uh, somewhat bluish figure that popped its head out for a brief yes. moment and moved around. Um, did you catch? I think you caught other photographs that could very well be uh, these creatures. Did you? Yes, I did. Yes, yes, I've had. Uh, I've I've caught multiple pieces, but um, on time lapse cameras now, the time lapse cameras in in general are very wide angle. But what I've done is um, manufactured a fitting uh, that I can. Uh, put a monocular on front of the uh, the time lapse camera, and that zooms everything in. Mm-hmm. And that that that's been reasonably successful. I've got something crawling through the forest brush, and then putting its hand up on a log. I've caught something large and black in a tree. You know, the size of a person in a tree. Mm-hmm. The tree's leaning over. You know, from the weight of this thing. Now that's right. not normal for we have nothing in the trees over here in Australia except for koalas, and and uh, lizards. Um, I've caught something literally peeking from a, behind a tree. It looks like it has a snout. That ain't normal. We don't have animals like that. And then I've a caught snout. That, a snout. Huh? huh. We actually. <laughs> that's. It's. I keep finding these. Uh, these strange similarities with what you're saying and what goes on in the U.S., which isn't to say that they're always going to be completely different. There are actually many similarities, but that one is surprising. Do you, what kind of creature do you think that is? I think it's probably just another species, another different type of species. We, I, I don't know how many species there are out there. I mean, again, Australia is so vast and so unpopulated, and uh, there are such large areas where, where no one is in and no one's ever been or not necessarily never been but uh you know no no one hardly goes into these areas and there could be anything out there but i i have no idea what the one with the snout is it certainly looks like a snout um but it may be like a more of a baboon type that's what your description started to strike me as which is interesting again because that's another parallel between these mystery hominids and you know the the closest thing we have to hominids in the primate kingdom yeah i have no idea what it is but you know i I think these dog man stories may be just normal bigfoot or yowies Mm -hmm. but it's a different type of yowie with a snout right right we have the same thing going on we call them the dog men here as well yeah and uh i'll admit when i first heard about the dog man i was very skeptical because you sit there and you think oh well these people are basically describing werewolves or, yes. you know, whatever you want to call them, shapeshifters. Um, and then you see what people are calling photographs, which is, for one thing, to learn that there are photographs of these things uh, supposedly is a very surprising fact to learn. Mm. And you see some of them and, uh, you know, you do some background research. And the first one that I ever found uh, took me a while to really get thinking about it so much that I did background research because... For a while, I just thought, oh, it's a cool photograph. It could go either way, honestly. Mm. Um, but allegedly, it is a photograph that a police officer took. Okay. 
That's when incredible. he was driving down a road next to what I think he said was a cornfield, uh, which seems to be a strange constant with these sightings. Um, but you look at the photograph, I'll send it uh, to you in a bit here, actually. And uh, the only way I can describe it is that looks like a wolf standing on its hind legs looking into your car window. Wow. It's, it's unsettling. I'll try and find it right now, actually. It's, like I said, it's very unsettling. It appears to be a night vision camera of some kind. Oh, okay. But it could be uh, an edited photograph, obviously. But again, um, because when I... It took me a while to actually find the background on, on this, for one thing. Sure. And uh, when I did, it took me even longer to find something that was really concrete that said, oh, this is where this came from. Mm. So definitely take uh, the background of this image and, of course, the image itself uh, with a grain of salt. Sure. Which we should always do anyway. Yes. But um, here I will... Uh, Oh, I'm able to. Could you accept a contact request so I could at least uh, show you right? I, I, now, how do I do that? I haven't been on Skype for Oof. years. Uh, I think that there's a, um, next to my name in the upper hand corner of this call. Yes. There's a little, it looks like a few little lines with dots next to them. Yes. I think if you click on my name should be there. And yes. uh, you can click on it and there's a button somewhere that comes up that says accept contact request. Uh, con contact requests. I can't. I can't see it. Uh, if there's not, don't worry about it right now. I'll, uh, I'll find some way to through okay. looking you on my channel or something. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's a very unsettling photograph. And there are other ones that you can say like, oh well, that could be anything. There was one on a uh, a Facebook page that I drew of cryptozoology. That a lot of people said, oh, it just looks like a a black dog sitting in the woods. But at the mm -hmm. same time, you think to yourself and you're like, well, how many huge black dogs are sitting in the woods of Wisconsin and Michigan right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very strange yeah. thing to think about. Look, there's a, a you know, it, it's my opinion that the planet, you know, we've only been here a, a modern industrialized civilization, you know, for, you know, two or 300 years, but um, what's been happening before that? What has actually been out in the forest? You know, the, the, the communities and the indigenous people are saying that there's this creature, there's that creature, there's mm -hmm. that creature. And that's just from that area. You go to Europe and there's totally different creatures or similar right. creatures. But, you know, we're, we tend to think that we know everything and, you know, we're very smart. We are smart. Humans are smart. We've been to the moon, whatever. Certainly. Um, but we're, we've lost touch with our indigenous feelings and, and uh, you know, that type of thing. And... All of that, all of that is now supernatural. It's mm -hmm. it's out of the realm of possibility because we've we've lost touch with it all. Right. And it doesn't mean that it's not possible. So it it is my opinion that there are some very strange things happening on the planet, and there are very some some very strange animals still alive in mm -hmm. in the forests of the world, in in remote parts of the forests of the world that no one's ever seen or very few few people have ever seen. But the indigenous people are reporting it. I yeah, that's a very good insight to have. We definitely have, I think, uh, at least the more uh, what you call civilized. Of course, civilization is definitely civilized means really more and more removed from having to be uh, closer and closer to primal. And of course, sure. primal has a lot to do with being with nature. And um, yes. I think that definitely even the thought of something like a yowie or something like a uh, a giant komodo dragon. Uh, which strikes someone as 
uh, the, the stuff of legend or the stuff of uh, fantasy of book. Sure. But um, on the subject of calling something supernatural that may not be, uh, there are definitely sightings that happen that I'm not sure what else to call them except uh, an allegedly supernatural experience. Uh, a lot of, especially Native American sightings that happen in the U.S. Uh, will say the Sasquatch is able to turn invisible, it's able to walk through solid objects. Um, that's not exactly the majority, I would say, of sighting. It's a very small minority, at least of the ones that we get in the mainstream. Mm. But what's your opinion of sightings that claim that um, a species or a creature can do something that is just, you know, no other animal can do? It can, you know, it can walk through a wall, it can travel between worlds, it can talk to you without moving its mouth in some cases, apparently. Uh, well, we, we get the same reports here in Australia. Now, mm -hmm. there was a report. <clears throat> there was a report on a six-lane highway. Four people in a vehicle travelling north, north of Sydney, on a six-lane highway. They saw a Dulagar or a Yowie uh, run across in front of the traffic, run across the road, and the witnesses said it seemed to glide, mm -hmm. and it. It jumped, uh, it didn't jump, it ran across the road in four or five steps, a six-lane highway, and they right. said it, it seemed to glide. Hmm. They nearly hit it with the car. Wow. So something's going on. Now, as I, as I just mentioned, we do get reports of that. There's Once you start looking hard enough into subjects like these, you end up finding pieces of information that you weren't necessarily expecting. Now, I was out in the forest making a video i put my stuff out in the forest and i was on my way home and i had two options turn right or turn left and i thought i'll go down this way because i haven't been down there for a while and i had a bit of a look mm -hmm. so i got i was driving down there got to a place and i thought okay i haven't seen anything here i haven't been here before i'm going to stop the car and hop out and have a look and uh <clears throat> i hopped out and there was heavy running footsteps running towards the car now as I mentioned before, you can your mind quickly adds up that whatever that is, it's bigger than you. Right. So I, I hopped back in the car and came back a few weeks later with my cameras, and the exact same thing happened. Hopped out of the car, um, and here's these heavy running footsteps coming towards the car. I knew exactly what it was because I'd heard it so often. I walked down into the forest with all my cameras on, running, and this thing about, you know, between five and six foot tall, ran across in front of me at probably 20 or 30 yards, and it was transparent. Hmm. And I'm not joking. Now, the only um, camera that was looking in that direction was my head camera because it was so wide an angle. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and after I took it home, I couldn't see anything on the footage. Now, when this thing ran past me, or ran in front of me, it ran straight through a large pile of logs that had been there from a logging expedition years ago, but it ran through it. It didn't stop and slide and hop in. It went straight through it. Hmm. So this thing was transparent. It was uh, upright. It was brown in colour, and that's what I saw. Now, I'm not a drunk. I'm not on any drugs. I'm not on any medication. Right, right. I'm so straight that I'm boring, but uh, that's what I saw. 
So I can tell you for sure something's going on. Right. What do you, if you like, had to take a guess, what would you say that that was exactly? A lot of people, uh, especially people who are indigenous, of course, call them spirits of some kind, whether it's a, a nature spirit, uh, a spirit in a more literal sense, a ghost of some kind. Uh, do you have anything that you would say that you personally think to yourself that could have been, or is it something that's very unexplained still to you? Well, I, I believe it was a yowie. Uh, because uh, because of the footprints, uh, the, the 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 running sounds that I was hearing beforehand. Right. So I'd heard it because I was feeding them so so often. I was very familiar with this stomping noise and running sounds and mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. So I've heard it a lot. So I knew exactly straight away that that was a yowie. But it ran across in front of me to intimidate me. But it was also transparent, hmm. and that's for me. That's when the penny dropped. You know, right. this is why. This is why no one's having any luck. This is why everybody's having trouble trying to get the footage, you know. So uh, that's when I sort of, and that's when I think a lot of researchers leave the field. Exactly. Or, I was about to sort of shut up. That. Yeah. That's when they go, uh uh, aha, you know, hmm. I'm out of here. It's very, it's very strange because it's, again, like you're a very credible person in my eyes. And. Usually when I hear something like that, I think to myself, is it, you know, the stuff of legend being repeated or is there actually something going on? And the idea that there's actually something like that going on is very, it can, it can be unsettling, I'll admit. It can be very, it, it brings a whole new paradigm to the situation. Well, it, it was trying to intimidate me. Right. I have no, I have no doubt of that. Don't come into here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, ju- I just entered the forest. I'd hopped out of my car and, and started entering the forest. And it intimidated me not to go into that area. Right. But uh, I'm not the only one that's seen it. And the deeper you dig, the more you see. And that's when you start to go, okay, it's not just an ape in the forest. Right. Which is, especially speaking on in terms of uh, how we understand evolution, can be truly just mind-boggling to think of well, it can and it can't be because we have examples of uh, life that we know exists that do insane things. There's a species of jellyfish that is effectively immortal. If it gets too old, it actually can reverse its own aging process and oh, uh, really? start its life over again. Yeah. Unless it there is destroyed, it will never die. Huh. Which is, we, we talk about... Um, Immortality is something of, uh, you know, mythology, of the Greek mythology, of the mm. this and that mythology. But here's an animal living in our ocean that we accept scientifically, and it's immortal. That's right. It's crazy to think that these things happen like that. And um, I talked about, I covered the subject briefly in the Pombero video, which is where we first started talking. Mm. And uh, the people... Uh, who are indigenous to the area will often say the Pombero can, like you said, it can turn transparent or invisible. Uh, it can do a number of things that are sometimes hard to explain. And th- some things are uh, maybe being called supernatural, but are really things that other animals can do that are just, again, incredible things. Sure. And one thing that I just realized kind of relates is um, I used to watch you know shows like Ghost Hunters a lot when I was younger. Not too much mm. into that now. I'm far more into cryptozoology than I am the paranormal. But um, one thing I know is that they would say a lot is that animals 
uh, can be far more in tune with noticing uh, a very strange thing like that in nature. Sure. And one thing about the Pombero video that to me lends maybe a bit of credibility is that before any of the kids know something's going on, the dog looks over and his ears are perked up and he thinks, obviously, oh, that's not normal. That doesn't happen. Sure. And he's looking yes. at this, you know, this black figure crawling through the, the grass. Now, whether this dog is looking at him because it's someone dressed up and he doesn't see people dressed up like that or because he noticed that something was perhaps off in the world around him. Uh, it's interesting to make the comparison we're talking about, the more uh, allegedly supernatural aspects of creatures like this. Have you had an well, instance where an animal that maybe like a pet you've had notices something that shouldn't be there or sometimes isn't there? No, no. I, I, I haven't had any animals for a long time, but mm -hmm. coincidentally last night I was... Uh, just surfing through YouTube and I saw animals reacting to ghosts. So I clicked on the video and it, it was actually cats. Right. And these cats, you could see straight away that these cats were looking at something that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And they were following it, following it around the room right. and they are climbing the walls. So, yes, I do believe that dogs and cats can notice things. You know, that they've got different senses than us and they're seeing in different spectrums. So they're seeing and hearing and maybe even sensing things that we wouldn't normally know about, that we just don't know about because we're not designed that way. Right. So, yes, they can see things that we can't, mm -hmm. for sure. Do you think that the things that they see are ghosts? This is actually what got me thinking of, is it always, uh, if this is what's happening, is it always a ghost? If ghosts exist, I'm not sure myself. Um or is it something else that can't be seen? Uh, I used to have a Great Dane. My name was used to have a Great Dane next door. And yeah. uh, the Great Dane herself wasn't you know, the brightest dog or whatever, um, but sometimes she would just bark at the front door and there'd be nothing there. But aside mm -hmm. from that, nothing strange ever happened around the house. I will tell you strange things happened on the property, but that was actually more uh, Sasquatch related. Yes. And of course, there's not a Sasquatch sitting outside the door soliciting us uh, in broad daylight. <laughs> So the, the dog's probably not noticing anything like that. And um, so I thought to myself one time, I was like, I wonder what she's looking at. I wonder what she's barking at. Mm -hmm. And it's a very strange thing because if it's not, and again, I'm not sure what to think of ghosts myself, but if I were to say, okay, maybe it's a haunting of some kind or something passing through like that, there's no, there's nothing else to say that that's the case. So it's, perhaps something that can't be seen, but is it the remnants of a someone or a something else, something intelligent? I'm not sure. It's a very strange thing that happens when animals react like that, and we tend to associate it with ghosts, but really, uh, I think it's a more general thing that even perhaps there's just energies that we don't see. Sure. When when I was a kid and we were living out on the farm, the only the only time, and it did happen to me, and I, and I apologize, uh, the dog, one of our dogs, started going off its brain and it was like looking at me and then looking up in the forest and looking at me and looking up in the forest and it was getting very upset and I'd never heard him mm -hmm. make those particular noises before but he knew something was going on whether he could smell it or see it or or what or sense it I don't know but he knew that there was something going on up in the forest that was out of eyesight it was up behind um, some buildings uh, a chook house 
and some bushes and we couldn't actually see what it was seeing. But mm. we ran, I, I could see straight away something was wrong. So I encouraged him to go. So we both ran up and my sister followed and we saw what may have been a yowie at the back of the property. Remember, this is quite a, a remote property. And I think you mentioned was, this. It was walking up yeah. a hill of some kind, I almost want to say. It was running up a 45 degree incline and hmm. it looked like looked like it was it was almost dark and it looked like it was wearing a coat because there was parts of it that was swaying as right. it was running but it was out of sight and we couldn't see it and we were down at the house but the dog knew something was there that's very interesting what do you think uh triggered the dog think do you do they have a distinct smell a lot of what we get here is certainly people sometimes even Reports will just be, I smelled something that shouldn't be there in the woods. Uh, in Florida, it's actually called the skunk ape for that reason. Yeah, sure. Um, what do you think set off the dog in this instance? I, you know, po- possibly it's smell because they'd never smelled that before. And But he was very excited. You know, I could see it in his eyes and it, it was in his bark. He was like trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. So he may have sensed something as well. I don't know what, what it is with dogs, but... Uh, they know stuff that we don't know. Maybe right. they're just more in tune with their senses, but they cer- certainly know something that we don't. Hmm. Now, was this your, um, what was your first sighting of uh, something strange, whether it was in the wilderness or elsewhere? Uh, that was out, out on that same property, probably when, so I moved out there when I was seven and it may have been two or three years later, we're walking We'd had dinner, we went for a walk down to the river and we're walking back as a family and as we're walking across the property, this enormous gold-coloured light uh, was flying across the sky from behind us and we actually looked back to see it, uh, which means we sensed it. Uh We sensed it coming and we all watched it. We all looked back and we all watched it fly straight over the top of us, probably at about you know, one or two miles up in the sky and it just went between the two mountains and then it went out of sight. And I said to my mum and dad, you know, what was that? And they said, oh, uh, dad never said anything, but mum said, I don't know. And that's when I went, ooh, you know, that's that's so, when my interest right. started to peak. Definitely. it's. I feel like uh, even personally, the original catalyst event for such an interest can be uh, like a very special memory. I remember. Sure. Yeah, well, I've, I've never forgotten it, and that, and that was the point where it, it triggered me. I mean, that's it, what was happening in my life at the time was very dull, mm-hmm. and uh, what what I'd seen was something that no one seemed to know anything about, and that's that's what caught my interest in this, the entire subject of the unknown. Right. What have uh, you've been in the field working in the forest with these cameras, with uh, at one point setting out the food. What other work have you done in the field? I've tried everything. I've tried uh, <clears throat> the, the most successful thing I've done is the audio. Now, it's when I first started, uh, it, you, you couldn't get an audio recorder to run for any more than 12 hours. But since then, uh, and we didn't have audio re- recorders that would run for 12 hours, but now they have many hard drives and, you know, technology has allowed me to... Uh, leap forward 
if you know what I mean. And I'm now able to, with with the help of a, a, a one of those phone chargers, those little battery packs, I'm now able to um, record the entire week on audio. So wow. I don't I don't have a I don't have a social life at all. I haven't got time <laughs> for a social life. Right. But. Uh, because it takes me so long to go through through everything, but no one's done it. No one's done it before, and this is how I'm able to collect the at least the audio that no one's heard before. You know, some very few people, very small percentage of people, have heard some of the stuff that I'm collecting. Right. But uh, it's never been done before here in Australia to have an audio recorder that runs continuously for a week. So that's that's been a, a huge help for me. Technology has helped me leap forward in in being able to collect all, all this, hmm. collect all the audio. Certainly, it's it's almost like we are uh, setting ourselves up technology wise uh, to get a big breakthrough with this kind of thing. Which uh, yeah, well, te- technology's now on our side. All hmm. we've got to do is is figure it out. We've we've got, you know, we've got the one one of the setups I have now. I have five, uh, excuse me, I have 610 amps worth of batteries, car batteries, um, and they they are running two CCTV systems continuously from daylight till dark. Mm -hmm. Now, you couldn't couldn't do that 10 years ago. Oh, no, definitely not. The The technology wasn't there. So we're right at the right time now to be able to get what we're after uh, if only we can figure out how to do it. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely, one can definitely feel as though it's it's leading up to something. You know, it's, you think uh, so. One of the um, people that I like a lot within the Sasquatch phenomenon, his name is John Bindernagel. Uh, he's from okay. Canada, I want to say Ontario, sure. I could be wrong. Um, and he's very, you know, straightforward with it. And he's, again, very on the side that is... Um, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about this. And he's a scientist. He actually has a degree in anthropology. Yeah. And uh, he has the same sort of feeling. He, um, I'm not sure his condition is now, but unfortunately last year it turned out he was sick. And, you know, he's getting to an age where uh, that could be definitely a big problem. And so he started thinking maybe I should start summing up my research in case anything happens to me. And one of the things he was definitely talking about was uh, we're on the brink of something at this point. And he's it, maybe we're not quite sure what it is, but a discovery of some kind is on the way. Yeah, I get the same sense, I, and and I think a lot of people are getting the same sense, and particularly with what I'm doing, and in 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 the Yowie community, uh, the wheels of the bus are now turning, mm. and they are now turning, or the ball's rolling, and it's now rolling, or the tide's turning. The tide is now turning in our favour. Right. That's. I think everybody gets the sense of that. We're close to something. Have you uh, Have you talked to anybody who has also done work in the field? Yeah, I talk. I talk to a number of researchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, after eight years, it all gets a bit ho hum. It's sort of like eating the same meal. Uh, I see what you mean. Every day, you know, so it all gets a bit ho hum. Mm-hmm. It all gets very boring. There's other things I want to do. I don't necessarily want to be doing this for the rest. I definitely do not want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Right. I want to get, I want to get the piece of footage that we're all after here in Australia, mm-hmm. and then I want to chuck it in, chuck it in, and do something else. Right. 
because I've had enough because it's been such a long battle, you know, and persisting is half the battle. So it's 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 very draining. It's very draining. So I want to get the footage and get out. Right. Do you um? There's actually on the subject of getting the uh, the hands down proof or evidence, so to speak. Mm. Uh, a lot of people will say, "Well, we need DNA samples that prove something is out there." Um, sure. One of the very interesting things about Canada, actually, on the subject of uh, researchers and John Bindernago being in Canada, there was a, uh, a fishing or a lake house or a boathouse of some kind in Ontario, mm. Canada. And um, it was a place that people would go during the summers or during the fishing season, whatever you have there. And um, they would constantly report that there are rocks thrown out the cabin or there's something that shakes the cabin and that it walks around the cabin outside. Mm. And uh, this eventually became Bigfoot reports. And at one point, something that trashed the cabin while no one was there. And yeah. uh, there's a show that I used to watch that's uh, pretty well known with people who uh, go on YouTube a lot for this sort of thing uh, called Monster Quest, which was basically an entire series of cryptozoology documentaries. Mm. And uh, two of them focused on efforts to find out what was going on at this cabin. Sure. In one instance, what they did was they laid out a board of nails on the I porch and basically figured uh, if something's coming to the door again, it'll step on the nails. And something did, and something big, and something that had a foot that was shaped like a human's, but was bigger. And mm. uh, there were blood samples, and they took them, and there were DNA samples collected, and they said it's uh, primate DNA that is close to a human's, but it's not on the record. And yeah. for some reason, no one talks about this, you know what I mean? It's, it's another example of something that people say, oh, well, that's ridiculous, where it's, uh, you know, there's blood sitting in a lab somewhere right now, that is almost undeniably blood of an undiscovered primate living in the Canadian wilderness and no one is talking about it. Yeah, the problem, the problem is, you know, we're, we're, we're collecting all this evidence, you know, some of it might not be what we think it is, some of it might be what we think it is. We're collecting hair, hair samples, footprints, blood, mm -hmm. whatever, tissue samples or whatever people are collecting. The problem is this entire subject is on the outside of science right. and once once we send our samples into science uh i it, it is my belief that they are not going to confirm it for you right no one's going to no one's going to confirm it for you so i did send uh i sent hair samples off to a hair expert in here in australia and uh she said that that was probably just a wombat so these, these are the types of replies that we're getting. It's probably just this. It's probably just that. I sent audio of what sounds like a gorilla charging through the forest hmm. and my reply from a very large organisation and who should have known exactly what it was said, it's probably just a possum. I sent more audio to a, to a state zoo. They said, we don't know what that is, but it's probably just a koala during mating. And this is the problem. We've got our evidence. Lots of people have evidence but no one's ever going to confirm us for it, confirm it for us because nobody wants it found. Right. The government, the government does not want to admit that there are extraordinarily large bipedal prehumans or primates or whatever in the Australian forest because it's going to be an enormous headache. Right. So no, no, uh, we even have panthers here in Australia, like you, like cougars, like you guys have over there. And uh, a friend of mine has blind tested 
uh, a laboratory and they failed the test. He sent known cougar samples to the that he collected from a zoo by hand with the, with the keeper or whatever it was, known samples to the laboratory, and they just went, "No, that's a, that's anything but what a, anything but a cougar." So our problem is the scientific community are, are either so far removed that it couldn't possibly be that, and they come up to conclusions. So it's never going to be confirmed by a scientific community, I believe. Right. That being said, when you're talking about the the goal, the end goal for you, that is ultimately the piece of footage that is, uh, you know, hands down Yowie footage or uh, whatever you may have it footage. What would that? Would the what would the effect of that be in your mind? Would that be the thing that proves it exists, or would that sort of be Australia's uh, Patterson Gimlin film? I don't, I don't know what I'm collect, going to collect, and I doubt it's going to be anywhere near the quality of the Patterson-Gimlin film, but I have footage of, uh, time-lapse footage of something in a tree, mm-hmm. so uh, I'm hoping to get something that's distinct enough to at least change somebody's mind, and and, and there it is, that's, that's what I collected, you can take it or you can believe it. Uh, or, or you don't have to believe it, and that's all I'm going to do. You right. know, once I once I get a piece of footage that's near enough that you can go, okay, it's not this, it's not that, it's not something else. Uh, then those people are going to have to make their own decision. That's when I'm going to close shop. That's when I'm going to shut down. And uh, you know, that's all I can do. I feel like I've done everything that I can. Mm-hmm. I can't spend the rest of my life doing this. If I can get a piece of footage, a nice piece of footage, even if it's not so great. That'll be it for me. It, it, don't, it won't have to be the Patterson, the Australian version of the Patterson Gimlin film. So I'm just going to get what I can, and people can decide for themselves. What do you want to do after uh, it blows over? Whatever point you decide that it blows over at. And anything but this. <laughs> <laughs> it's extraordinarily expensive. I've spent fifty-two thousand dollars mm-hmm. on this, trying to get. You know, bringing the truth to the public. You know, I didn't intend to do that in any way, shape, or form, but right. that's just the way it's turned out. I've had an idea and gone, okay, well, I'm going to have to buy this, I'm going to have to buy that just to see if it works. So, right at the very start, I bought, uh, you know, I had a handful of time lapse cameras and put them out and ended up getting something that looked like what we needed. And uh, but it wasn't very good. So then I had to buy seven time-lapse cameras to cover the entire field. Right. And then then I began collecting uh, more pieces of what looked like we're after. So it's extraordinarily expensive. And, you know, uh, yeah, I've just had enough and I'd just like to just do something else after this. I don't know what. Is it like but a could... uh, is it a chore for you at this point or do you still have... Yeah, it's a chore. Hmm. It's a job. This is like a weekend job, and and it's an after-hours job as well. So, when when I get home, if I've had my stuff out in the forest and I bring it home, I've got to down, download it all or upload it all right. to the computer, and then I literally spend the entire week and part of the next week, all in my spare time, going through all the footage and going through the all the audio and collecting everything. So it's extraordinarily time-consuming, but that's the only way to do it. Right. What makes it, what makes all the effort uh, worth it to you? Uh, it's, uh, you know, when you, when you find 
something, I don't know if you've watched one of my recent videos, there are, really are some extraordinary calls that I'm collecting. Mm-hmm. And when you get something like that, it does, it makes that little piece worth it. Right. But, but uh, you know, I feel I have a, an, an obligation. So I feel like I'm obliged to at least take it as far as I can. So right. that's, I'm not necessarily motivated by what I'm collecting. I'm motivated by what I need to collect. And mm-hmm. as it so happens, I'm collecting all these cool pieces on the way. Right. Well, I admire you for that. That's very, it's uh, nice to know that someone who has the ability to at least attempt it decides that because they have the ability to, they have an obligation to. Yeah, I do, I do feel like it's an obligation because no one's speaking about it. I mean, when I first started, I, I'd never heard a, a, a supposed yowie call. I'd mm. never heard any noises. I'd never seen any footprints. I'd never seen anything. So, uh, you know, that, that was the subject. I was looking at going into UFOs, but uh, the yowie subject needed looking at, I thought. And, uh, you know, I'd never heard any calls or anything that I'd never heard before. So... Um, mm. That's why I went in that direction, and I, I'm not saying I'm the first in Australia to collect those calls, but I hadn't heard any other calls. Right. No, and I yeah, looked uh... and looked and looked and looked and looked, and no one had been collecting anything. All we all we basically had was stories. Right. What of uh, I just remembered this. This is actually one of the first cryptids that I was aware of when I was younger. Uh, what is your knowledge if any on the bunyip all depends who you talk to the bunyip i believe was something that lived in the in the swamps but i was mm. talking to an aboriginal person and he said that uh, that the bunyip was the bunyip name was just made up to scare children just oh. sort of like uh if you don't eat your dinner the bunyip will get you a boogeyman you know, of sorts the boogeyman but uh, I don't know how true that is, and I couldn't really tell you. I've heard lots of bunyip stories, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't know how true it is. But mm-hmm. in all these indigenous uh, names and myths, the, you know, you would think there was a grain of truth there right. somewhere. There's usually uh, something that can be attributed yeah. to. That's right. Even the, you know, wildest of mythologies are meant to explain natural occurrences. That's right. On the subject of uh, a few extra cryptids, um, have you ever been to Tasmania? No, I've no, I never have. Have you heard a lot about the uh, the Tasmanian tiger or the thylacine? Yes, yes, and we, we we also had them on the mainland here. So uh-huh. uh, on the main on the mainland, we had what they are calling marsupial tigers, mm-hmm. not the not the Tasmanian tigers. So. Um, uh, most of them were shot out by, you know, the first settlers right. because they were eating their sheep and eating their cows and whatever. So most of them were shot, but there are sightings. Actually, uh, when I lived in Queensland, my boss uh, swears he saw a marsupial tiger. Hmm. But uh, my sister also reckons she saw a Tasmanian tiger late one night with her husband driving along a, a remote ho- highway uh, down in, in the southern parts of Australia there one night. So I believe they are, they are still out there. 
that is definitely one of the things. There are a few ones that I'm willing to say that I believe in without, you know, seeing it myself or whatever. But yeah. the Tasmanian tiger is there's so much mounting evidence and actually footage and photographs that it's um mm. it's it's nearly undeniable that at the very least there's something that looks exactly like a Tasmanian tiger mm. uh running around Australia and in Tasmania. Yeah, well, the reports keep coming in. You know, the reports yeah. are actually getting getting less and less, but they're still coming in. So, mm -hmm. and and pe people, what happens is, and this is what I noticed right at the start with the UFO uh, phenomena, with the Yowie phenomena, with the Bigfoot phenomena, and and with the Tasmanian tiger, people will go out of their way to actually report it because they believe it's important, regardless of ridiculed. Right. So, even if one of those reports is true. Uh, with the UFO subject, with the Yowie subject, with the with the thylacines, even if one is true, they are still alive. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's a very interesting thing to think about for sure, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the idea that there are animals that we thought were extinct that uh, you know may still have a chance in the wild, or uh, certainly environmentalists of any kind would have a field day with that. You know what I mean? Well, the, the, there was a parrot here in Australia. It was called uh, the night parrot, uh, and it was believed, you know, this is a scientific, the scientific uh, community believed it was extinct, and it's not. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's, you know, reports of this happening all over the world every year. Uh, a species being found that, that they thought was extinct. There's, there's living uh, fossils, they call them living fossils on the planet that everybody thought was dead, but mm -hmm. they're still alive. Right. The coelacanth is one that's brought up very often. That's right. Well, uh, I think that's all I have to ask you, Russell. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been uh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. No, thank you. This was a very. This is my first time doing talking to anyone close to what you would call a cryptozoologist or uh, anything like that, and it's been a very, very enjoying, uh, enjoyable experience. Ed, likewise, it's it's uh, yes, I've, I've I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for coming on, Russell. I hope to uh, follow what you're doing and be able to see whatever you come up with. Yeah, fingers crossed, hey. Ah, totally. Totally. All, All right, right Russell. Kendrick. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too, mate. Thanks. Bye.